Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. I don't have just a whole lot of memories from my childhood. I'm, I'm one of those people that always stays focused on the future, and I tend to forget things that happened last week, much less things that happened when I was a kid. But there are a few things that happened when I was young that really burned into my psyche, and I can go back and just sort of touch them and relive them. The episode I'm going to tell you about right now is one of those moments that no matter how old I get, I can just go back and close my eyes in time and, and feel like I was right there. It was November 21st, 1963. Now I was in the back seat of my car, with my parents were in the front seat, and Dad was driving north on I-35 through Fort Worth, my hometown. And just as we got right by downtown, I looked out my window and I saw that the outlines of the buildings were lighted. Now that's not something uncommon in my hometown of Fort Worth, because one of the earliest memories in childhood I have is of the city being out lit in, in, in lights during the Christmas season. And they would turn on the lights. Uh, on Thanksgiving night, signifying that the Christmas season had begun. But on that night, in the backseat of my car, I, I calculated and I realized that it was a week before Thanksgiving, and the lights were on. And I didn't know somebody had gotten mixed up on the dates or whatever and turned on the lights early. And I, I asked Dad, because I was perplexed about this, I asked Dad, I said, um, why are the buildings lit tonight? I like to say, it, it's just one of those memories that is so real I can touch it even now. And Dad said, the president is in town. And he was. John F. Kennedy was in my hometown that night. And they had turned on the lights for him. Because it's not every day that the president of the United States comes to your city. And we were very proud in Fort Worth that John F. Kennedy had come to visit us. Not to put a damper on my story, but we all know that the next day, history and the world would change forever. But I can remember that. It's just so real. The lights were on because we had a celebrated visitor. Now today, we're in the Christmas season. Thanksgiving was last Thursday. And even on Thanksgiving night, my wife and I were driving around, and in our community, we saw that the lights were already on. People had outlined their houses with lights. Some had put lights around their trees. Some people already already have trees in their homes that are lighted. Lights characterize the season. We turn on the lights. Why? Well, we turn on the lights because it's Christmas. Well, what's Christmas? The story of Christmas is that we had a visitor who came into our world. And it wasn't a president. It was someone very much, much more important than that because as important as John F. Kennedy was to our nation, as far as I can recall, we only had the lights on one time in my hometown because John F. Kennedy came to our city of course, he died the next day, and we, we respect his memory. 
and we, we remember him at, at his birth date and even on the date of his death, but we don't turn the lights on anymore. And 200, 300 years from now, it isn't likely that people will remember him very much. But now, 2,000 years after Jesus was born in our world, we still turn on all the lights. And we have Christmas music. As far as I know, it is the only holiday that has an accompanying season. We start our Christmas season in, on the day after Thanksgiving. The merchants start their Christmas season back in June. But I, I always puzzle over this, and maybe you can help me, or maybe I can help you, or maybe we can put our heads together and figure this out. There does seem to be a sort of cultural schizophrenia about this visitor. Because on the one hand, we really depend on his birthday, and on the other hand, he's growing least, increasingly unpopular. It's not in vogue to use Jesus' name. In fact, I, I, sometimes I'm asked to bring a prayer at a at a function, a, a, a public function. And they will say to me, we would like for you to pray a non-sectarian prayer. Doesn't that sound reasonable? Non-sectarian. Now, you and I know what that means. That means leave Jesus out of it. And I always tell people, whenever I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. So, you know, when I pray, I'm not there just to add a little ornament to, a, to, a, to an occasion. I, if you want me to pray, I'll pray, but I can't, can't leave Jesus at home. I'm just saying we have a little bit of schizophrenia over this because, you know, we're, we're, we're encouraged to keep Jesus quiet. Don't pray in his name. Certainly don't say that he's the only way to heaven. And if you do mention Jesus' name, what you do is you put him in a seat among a council of seats of leaders of religions. You have Confucius, you have Buddha, you have Muhammad, you have leaders of schools of thought. And it's all right if you push a chair up to that table and seat Jesus in it as long as he is one among many. Well, if he's one among many, though, why do we turn on all the lights for his birthday? Well, I have a real quick answer for you on that one. A lot of our retail community depends on half 50% of their business on his birthday. So we're locked into this schizophrenia. How do we keep celebrating this time of year and yet at the same time not elevate Jesus to a position of serious status? And it's a challenge, isn't it? Some people will say, well, <clears throat> let's not say Merry Christmas anymore. Let's say Happy Holidays. Well, why Holidays? Why are these holidays any happier than any other? Why are they happier than the 4th of July? Why are they, you know, why are they significant enough? Why are they more significant than, say, I don't know, Thanksgiving? You don't have a Thanksgiving season. You don't start it in, you know, in October. You don't have a Halloween season. Why are these holidays so happy? And what I want to do for us today is I want to clear away the haze, and at least at the end of this series, the visitor my hope is that you'll at least be honest with yourself and say he either is somebody worth celebrating and I'm going to go ahead and give him his props or to say I'm just going to blow him off and say he's unimportant but then I'm not going to put up a tree this year and I don't see any reason to go out and spend a lot of money on gifts and you know sing sing Christmas songs and all that because it's either one or the other who is this visitor 
Well, I think you know right now, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and put your tree up. Go ahead and buy gifts, as long as you don't max out, you know, max out your credit cards or something like that. I'm going to encourage you to celebrate the season with everything you've got, because here's what I want to say to you. The visitor is worth celebrating. When you know who he is and what he's about and why he came and what he's still up to, I'm going to tell you what. I, I am one who believes it would be all right if you left your Christmas tree up all year long. And some of you ladies are saying, please don't tell my husband that, all right? <laughs> but I'm serious. He is so wonderful. He's worth celebrating all year long. So it's certainly okay to celebrate now. Let's take our Bibles today and let's read what God has to say about the visitor. In John chapter 1, we are reading about who Jesus is and who he was before he came to earth. The Bible says in verse 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now notice that word there is capitalized. The first letter of word is capitalized, signifying that it is a proper noun. Now word here is very much like my name. Because a word, you know, word by itself, if you use it in its generic sense, you wouldn't capitalize word because it's a thing. Just like my name, Mark. If it was not if it was not referencing a person, if you're talking about a mark on a page, you wouldn't capitalize that. But if you were using my name or any other person named Mark, you would, you would put a capital letter at the beginning because it signifies as a proper noun. It's the same thing here with Jesus because the word here, when the Bible speaks of the word, it's a reference to who Jesus was before he came to our world. See, he, he is known as Jesus. That is his earthly name. And by the way, just so that you will know, you know, when you say Jesus Christ, you know, sometimes we say Jesus Christ like Christ is his last name, you know, and Je but it's not that way. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Christ is the same, it's, uh, the Aramaic word for that is Messiah that we have as the name of our church. Christ is a title. It means he is the one God sent into our world. Jesus is his name. Just like saying President Bush. Bush is his name. President is his title. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. But before he was born in our world, before he was incarnate, which means he came in the flesh, what was his name? And the Bible just simply calls him here the Word. The Bible says in the beginning, the Word already existed. Why is that language important to us? Well, because if you went down the street today with a microphone and a roving camera and you asked people, where did Jesus get his start? What are people going to tell me? Where? Tell me. That's exactly right. They're going to say he started in Bethlehem. Well, he, you know, he was born in a manger, and he was in a stable, and Mary and Joseph were there, and the shepherds, and this little kid with a drum that kept beating on the drum. You know, <laughs> that's how Jesus came into our world. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, in the beginning, he already existed. Before there were angels, before there was a world, before there was anything else, he existed. But he was part of something. He was part of what we call the Trinity. God is, one, God is one God, but there are three personalities in the Trinity. Because the Bible says that the Word was with God. So this person who we will eventually know as Jesus when he comes in the flesh, he was with God. Here's a reference to God the Father. He was with God. Now the English language is not quite as colorful as the Greek language that our Bible, our New Testament, was written in. Because what the Greek language simply says was, he was face to face with God. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us in the Western world. Because here in America, we have a democratic society. So you can be face to face. You know, somebody who is, 
you know, a, a workaday guy or woman could be face-to-face -face with the President of the United States because we believe the biblical concept that all human beings are created equal. We don't have ranks or castes or stations in life. But in the Eastern world, it was very different. Because in the Eastern world, if you were, if you were a person of higher station and rank in life, someone who was of lower station could not look you face-to-face -face or eyeball-to-eyeball. It was important that that person be position lower. And certainly for a king, you know, if you're in the presence of a king, you would not stand eye to eye with the king. You would be below him. Or if he was seated, you'd be kneeling before him. You could not have the same, same eye to eye placement. Now, the reason I tell you that is this verse that we're reading now says that in the beginning, he already existed, number one. And number two, he was face to face with God. That denotes equality. When Jesus was in the beginning with his father, the person we know of as Jehovah God, he was eyeball to eyeball with God. In the beginning, he already existed. He was eyeball to eyeball with God. And somebody is saying, Mark, are you telling me that Jesus was God? Well, I'm not telling you that as much as the next line of our verse is. Read it with me, please. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. There it is. The Word was God. So that is who Jesus was way back in time. You go back before there was a world, before there were angels, before there was anything else in the universe, there was God, and God was three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You say, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because the way I know family, it doesn't work that way, you know, because usually there's a mother, and, and but... This is the world as God created it. What we're talking about now is the Godhead before there ever was a world, before there was ever a human system. The Word was with God. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and look just a little bit further down and find verse 14, because this is the verse that we're going to talk about for the next few moments this morning. The Bible says, So the Word became human and made his home among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I just read to you one of the most important verses in the Bible. There are three things this verse tells us, and then we'll go home. Here's the first one. The Bible says, God became human. Now, that has just gotten all over me, and I keep thinking about it, and I keep talking about it to everybody that I see. Because I, I've always known about it, but it's just so amazing to me. The older I get, the more wonderful that is. God became human. You know what the teaching of some religions is? In fact, this is the core teaching of many and even most religions, that man or woman can become God. If you learn enough, if you progress enough in the religion that you start out down here as man and you just keep going and eventually you become God. There are even some Christian cults that teach that, that, you know, you start out as a human being, maybe even started out lower than that, but you just keep climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and maybe someday you will be like God. And yet the Bible tells us that the story of Jesus is just the opposite. He was God but he became human. God became human. God became human, and John said he moved into our neighborhood. He came to our world. Now, how did that happen, and what does it matter, and what's the, what difference would it make? Well, we read in, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 
God talking about how that Jesus would come into our world, that he would be born of a virgin. And I know that right out of the box that gives some people trouble because they're saying, wow, that's not biologically possible. That would take a miracle for, for uh, anybody to be born of a virgin mother because we all know the rules. It takes the sperm of the man, the ovum of the woman, it becomes a zygote, and that, you know, throughout the period of gestation, voila, human life emerges. That is life as we know it. But could I ask you a question? Somebody could say, well, I don't know about this thing about a virgin having a child because that would be a miracle. If you've ever been around any birth, couldn't I ask you, isn't it a miracle? I mean, it's only normal to us because that's life as we know it. But we didn't make it. We didn't declare it so. We didn't write the plan for human birth and human life. Those are just norms that God established in our world. What God, God wants you and I to know is that if he wants to contravene the norms, he's, he's able to do it. If he wrote the rules in the first place, if he wants to go around the rules, he's certainly able to do that. Well, somebody will say, well, wait a minute, Mark, I still struggle with this idea of a virgin having a baby because it's just biologically impossible. And, and it's just never happened before. To which I would say, that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea. What God is saying from Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to send my son into the world. I'm going to, I'm going to send you a savior. I'm going to send you a redeemer. And, and from Genesis 3.15 on, God said it's going to be the, what the Bible calls the seed of the woman. In other words, we're talking about the reproductive seed. There would be the woman's seed, but God himself would overshadow Mary so that the person who was born of Mary, well, let's see, how did, that, how did John say it? God became human. That person born of Mary would be God and human at the same time. That's the whole idea. But I want you to understand that God did not have Jesus born of, of Mary as a virgin so that we would all step back and say, wow, isn't that cool? I mean, look at what God did. He brought a baby into the world, no human father, just Mary for a mother. It wasn't so that God would, you know, kind of like look, look super strong. And, and, and there is an element to it, and we do marvel at, 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 at the virgin birth. But there's a very practical side to it. See, every one of us who is born into this world of human parentage, of both a human father and a human mother, we have a birth problem. We have a birth disorder. We have a, we have a birth defect. And God placed our first parents in paradise. We call it the Garden of Eden. And God placed them in paradise. He made them perfect. And he said to them, I've only got one rule, don't break it, because if you break it, you're going to die. He didn't mean they were going to drop, fall over dead. He just meant that the spiritual person within them would die. They would be tainted. They would be diseased by sin. And just like sometimes crack addicts pass on their addiction to their children, or AIDS parents pass on AIDS, Adam and Eve passed sin on to their children, and we were born to them, and so that every single one of us was born in a, in a fallen State And beyond that, just so we can say, well, that's not really fair that I'm born to sinful parents. Haven't we made our own contribution to that pile of sin? What God has to do is he has to find somebody who will pay the price for all the damage that we have done. And somebody will say, well, Mark, you know, you're a pastor of the church. If you were really a nice guy, you would die for us. I mean... If Mark, if, if you're the nice person that I think you are, would you be willing to, to lie on a cross and let people put nails in your hands and feet and put a crown of thorns on your head? And, and would you hang on a cross for us? Well, first off, if that's your definition of a nice guy, I'm not sure I'd qualify. 
But beyond that, even if I would, even if I said, okay, you got it. I love this church so much and I love you so much, I will die on a cross in order to pay for your sins. The truth of the matter is, I couldn't even pay for my own sins. Because see, I'm a sinner. If I were to suffer, then I would just be getting what I deserve. How can I just not even pay for my own sin and pay for yours too? Somebody's got to come into our world and be absolutely perfect and then be willing to die on a cross for our sin. He's got to be human or else it won't matter, but he can't be born to a human father who would pass on the sin of Adam to him. We've got to have somebody in our world who is human but who could be the sacrifice for our sins and that is what Jesus Christ is all about, and that is why he was virgin-born, God and human at the same time. Jesus came into our world. Let's read it one more time. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything. Verse 14, so the Word became human and made his home among us. He lived in our neighborhood. Now, let's read the next part of the verse. Here's the second thing I want you to see. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. You know, I thought about this a lot. When Jesus came to our world, he came to identify with you and me. He was God, but he came into our world to identify with us, which means this. God, through the person of Jesus Christ, he knows what it's like to hurt like you hurt. He knows what it's like to feel what you feel. He knows what it's like to be stressed like you were stressed. And he came to stand in our place. When I was thinking about this message several months ago, I remember thinking about this. If I had been Jesus, if I had been God, and he came from heaven, which is an awesome place. He was used, I'm sure, to the very best of everything, things that we can't even imagine. And he came to our world. If I had been him, just, just telling you what I'm really like, I would have tried to find some way to cushion the blow, wouldn't you? You know, if I'd been the Son of God, if I'd lived in heaven, if I was a creator, I had all kinds of power, and I had to come to earth, and I was willing to die for people, I would say to myself, if I've got to spend 33 years down there, I can be perfect, and I'll die on the cross, but man, while I'm there, I think I'm going to sort of fix things up for myself. He had the power. He could have created the, the biggest, you know, dream home in the world. I mean, you and I, got, we watch the dream home deal. They do, I think, what is it, in the spring, you know? When they put it on television and they, you know, make this magnificent house somewhere in Florida or Georgia or somewhere in the mountains. If I'd been Jesus, I think I'd have done something like that. You know, people would have come over to the house and said, what's the red thing in the driveway? I'd say, that's a Ferrari. Well, what's a Ferrari? Ferrari's a car. What's a car? Well, so 2,000 years from now, they're going to have cars. And, and I, you know, he, he could have just done the anachronism and put a Ferrari in the driveway and he could have just tooled around in Judea in a red Ferrari. I thought about that. I mean, he could have come to the world and he could have been a king. He could have had servants that waited on him and at the end of his life he still could have died on the cross, but he didn't. See, somebody could say, you know, the reason I'm, I'm saying this today, somebody could say, well, yeah, God came to our world, but he came with all that power, you know, really. Yeah, he, he identified with us, but I don't have the power that he had. Have you ever stopped to realize that with all the power he had, he never used it once to enhance his own situation? He, never even, he wouldn't even make bread for himself when he was hungry. He used all his power to help and enhance the lives of everybody else. That's what I love about this story. He came to identify with us. He came to stand shoulder to shoulder with us. When Jackie Robinson 
first started playing with Brooklyn, you know it was a difficult time. He broke the color barrier, and we celebrate that today, but it wasn't easy for Jackie Robinson. Because as he traveled all over the country, and they were on the road, and they would go into visiting stadiums, not only did they have the antagonism toward a visiting team, there was a lot of hostility in the fans, especially the white fans, who thought that an African-American had no business playing on the professional baseball team. And everywhere he went, Jackie Robinson was booed and hissed and called names, expletives. But one day things were at their absolute worst because they were in Brooklyn, they were in their home stadium before his own fans. And Jackie Robinson made an error and the people began to boo him. I guess that happens to a lot of players, maybe every player in baseball. But it wasn't normal, it wasn't typical because they didn't stop booing. They just got louder and louder. His own fans right there in his own stadium. And they just, it was just incessant. They hurled down invective and, and, and antagonism toward, toward to Jackie. And it was very clear it wasn't because he just made that one error. These were people who were angry that an African-American man would dare play in an all-white league. And as he stood there with his head down, with the cascade of booze coming from his own fans. The legend, the great shortstop Pee Wee Reese walked over to Jackie Robinson at second base and he slipped his arm over his shoulder and he stood there with him side by side as if to say, if you boo him, you boo me. And instantly the crowd got quiet. Jackie Robinson would later say, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. I thought about Jackie Robinson as I prepared for this message because sometimes it feels like life boozed me. Do you feel that way? You feel like you're out on the playing field of life and you make errors and things don't go like you thought they would go or like you hoped they would go in the booze of life. I don't mean from people. I mean just life screams out you're a failure and you don't belong. One of the reasons I love the story of the visitor Jesus that he came into our world and he walked to where we were and he slipped his arm around our shoulders and I would say that that arm around my shoulders, that person of Jesus Christ, has saved my soul, has saved my life. He came into our world to identify with us. Now John will go on to say one more thing here, one more time in John 1.14. The Bible says he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we, he said, have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, Here's what's awesome to me about Jesus coming into our world. I mean, I know God is awesome and God is great. We would all agree with that, right? I mean, he is the creator. He's the sustainer of the universe, but he's invisible. You know, he, he can't be touched. He can't be seen. Uh, except on extremely rare occasions. He doesn't speak and we can't hear his voice. We know that God is there. And we see the proof of him every day in his handiwork in the universe and all of God's creation. We see the evidence of him. But how do you get close to an invisible God? You can. You can have a personal relationship with God. But what I love about Jesus coming into our world is that for the very first time, you could see God. You could hear his words. You could touch him. And the reason that is so important to me is because it's through Jesus. And you, you have his words in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and other places in the Bible, but specifically in those four books, you get to hear what he has to say. And through who Jesus was, we know what God is like. No God could have been a mean God. 
He could be a killjoy, a cosmic killjoy. Some of you grew up in religion, you think he is that. And it's not enough for your joy to be killed. You want to kill other people's joy because you think God is up in heaven. If anybody's going to have anything to do with God, you're going to, he's just, you're going to have to, it's going to be just like this. Through Jesus, I know what God is like. He was the one who picked up kids and held them in his lap and blessed them. And when people thought he shouldn't be wasting his time on kids and they tried to shoo him away, it was God who became human who said, you leave the little kids alone because that, they're what it's all about. <laughs> I, I love that God became human because I get to see how God thinks about life. I mean, he, he touched people that nobody else wanted to touch. Whether they were lepers and their skin was crawling with disease and everybody else would turn away like that, he went to those people, to the people who couldn't see, to the people who couldn't hear, and the people who couldn't walk. He wanted to touch those people. That shows me what God is like. God is still wanting to touch people that nobody else will touch. I see what God is like. He is God and human at the same time. Most of all, I see what God is like and how he feels about me when I see him walk to a wooden cross, lie back, and give out his hands and his feet to be nailed there because he loves me so much and he loves you so much. That is what God is like. Do you want to know him? He's not an angry God that must be appeased. He's not a smart aleck God that loves to flip people off into hell. He is a God who would die for you. He is a God who loves you and cares for you. And what this is all about today is that through Jesus Christ, God has come into your world. God became human and he moved in our neighborhood. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we got to touch him. And he's awesome. Oh, the way I look at it, go ahead and flip on the lights. I mean, go ahead and put the tree up and flip on the lights and buy gifts and celebrate because this visitor is worth celebrating. But now I come to the most important thing of all. You know what God wants from you? You say, well, he wants me to be a Catholic or he wants me to be a Baptist or he wants me to straighten up my act. Do you know what God really wants from you? What you must do if you want to have a relationship with God. You, you, you need to invite Jesus into your life. Because the Bible tells us, you know, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says Jesus came into our world. And he came to his own people. And everybody just about blocked him out and wouldn't receive him. But the Bible goes on to say to everyone who invited him in, he gave them the authority to become God's children. I, I delivered this message two times before right now, and I didn't say this in the first two messages because I just thought about it as I was back in my office praying about the service. Why is it so important to invite Jesus Christ into your life? Because any place where Jesus is, awesome things happen. You put him in the universe before there is a world, and he'll make this world. You bring him to this world, and he'll save our souls. You can invite that person into your life, and he will transform and revolutionize your life. 
any place where he is, stuff happens. And God wants you to invite Jesus into your life because that's why he came. And until you invite him into your life, nothing matters. He can be a Baptist or a Methodist or a Nazarene or a Catholic or a you know, Pentecostal or Methodist, anything with an ist or an een or anything else. And it's not going to matter until you have Jesus in your life. Because whenever he's invited in, he transforms the environment.